This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. The Bowler Parsigian Center for Rare and Neglected Diseases at Notre Dame University conducts both basic and translational research. It also provides undergraduate students interested in going on to medical school or biomedical research exposure to rare disease patients and the issues they face. We spoke to Katsuri Halder, director of the center, about its work, the scientific case for linking rare and neglected diseases, and its upcoming Rare and Neglected Disease Day Conference. Kastori, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, Danny, for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. We're going to talk about the Boa Persigian Center for Rare and Neglected Diseases, the work you're doing there, and your upcoming Rare Disease Day Symposium. Perhaps you can begin with the center itself. How rare disease came to touch the Notre Dame community uh, directly, and, and how it, the center came about. Oh, yeah, sure. So, um, Notre Dame has a very strong commitment um, to the area of rare and neglected diseases. Um, part of it is its Catholic character, but also we have a faculty base that is really engaged in discovery. Um, and, you know, we do basic and translational research. Um, and so putting those, all of those components together and the fact that we have had many alumni who have been prominent in the Red Sea space, um, who, who sort of, you know, made various things come together. Um, and so that really sort of precedes me a little bit. I came in as the founding director where in um, 2008-2009, where the focus was almost um, entirely in, in one red disease. Um, but the university was very interested, obviously, in um, also expanding. And so now um, the center covers both rare, uh, rare genetic disorders as well as neglected infectious diseases. Um, because it's the same space um, that traditionally has not been embraced by the pharmaceutical industry. Obviously, you know, that's a dynamic that is changing, um, especially in, in rare diseases. Um, so we've had, um, you know, a, a lot of growth. We've gone from um, one rare disease to programs in over 10, so laboratory programs uh, in, in, in 10 genetic disorders, and then we also have, we get a lot of calls, and when the patient, when the center was uh, established, 
you know, we get calls from people in the local community about whether we worked on their rare disease. And, you know, given that there are 7,000 of them, you know, even if you have a broad program, chances are that you're, you're going to say no. Um, so we actually, um, you know, which, which actually made me feel really bad because the patient is is really the center of rare disease research. And um, so we have a, a program where we engage directly with the patient community um, and use research and scholarship um, largely by the undergraduate community at uh, Notre Dame to expand uh, patient advocacy, uh, and so we have about fifteen diseases that you know we we cover there. Well, um, how would you describe the mandate of the center? Oh, the mandate of the center is really to support research of Notre Dame faculty in early discovery and translational work uh, needed to develop therapeutics for rare and neglected. I mean, and, and as you mentioned, there are 7,000 rare diseases. How do you determine the diseases you focus on and, and the research you'll do? Yeah, well, um, we we look for opportunities. Um, and so, you know, we are quite broad and we have a focus in uh, rare neurological disorders. Um, uh, some of our areas we start in partnership with uh Notre Dame alumni. Um some of other some other areas, for instance, in rare cancers. We have faculty because rare diseases provide portals for mechanistic discovery, um, because they're monogenetic disorders, you know, we have faculty who work in polygenetic disorders but are actually quite interested in, you know, studying rare diseases because there's a great unmet need, but also because, you know, there is this portal for discovery um, that can impact other diseases. So, um, and then we also study, you know, rare resistant infections. And that, there's, there was already sort of a, a reasonably broad base of faculty that were already established at the, the university. So, I mean, those three areas are, are really pretty broad. Our focus is really, you know, on excellence um, of faculty in those areas. And we try to integrate expertise across faculty labs. So, in terms of approaches, you know, combining modern tools of, you know, epigenetics and genetics with metabolomics and uh, proteomics. So people tend to tend to work in multiple systems. I mean, certainly my lab works in multiple systems, um, but we the the approaches that we take are largely epigenetic and proteomic. Um, but we collaborate with labs, you know, who do more metabolo, right? So um, so we're we're broad, and um, we we hired uh, an investigator last year who works in rare penile cancer, and he applied for the position, and it's an endowed chair, endowed junior chair position. Um, you know, that was not, I won't say that, you know, we were particularly looking for a program in penile cancer, but he had a terrific program. Um, and so, 
you know, we hired him and we have a program in penile cancer. So rare diseases and neglected diseases obviously share a, a commonality in that they're underserved. But I'm, I'm wondering, is there a case to be made that there is a scientific argument for linking the two? Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Does I mean, one elucidate the other? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, so my lab, as I said, you know, we're interested in epigenetic mechanisms. We study malaria parasites, and we also study neurodegeneration. Uh, for that matter, we've started studying some intellectual disability, but but basically in the neurological space. And as it turns out, you know, epigenetic mechanisms are very important in both systems. Uh, in and also proteostatic mechanisms are very important in both systems from the perspective of the drug targets that we're looking at. Um, so there's a lot of methodological overlap. You know, there's a lot of methodological strength that we can bring from studying a particular neglected infectious disease to the rare disease and, and vice versa. By the same token, I, I know the lab is working on both Neiman Pick Type C and MPS3 or San Filippo disease. These are both lysosomal storage disorders that have neurodegenerative involvement. Yeah. Is, is that coincidental or is there an alignment in, in the work you're doing? Yeah, so actually my lab does not work on MPS3A, uh, but Dr. Sean Lee's lab. Um, so Sean Lee is in the center and so they work on uh, MPS3A. And um, so, so you know, the commonality is that they are all they are protein folding disorders. Uh, when you have a mutation in the particular gene, and this um, manifests itself as improper protein folding, if a protein is not properly folded, it immediately, firstly, it's inactive, relatively inactive, and then it gets removed by the cell. You know, there's this. There's a cellular recognition system that says this is garbage, you know, um, and you get rid of it, as opposed to a protein that's really well folded and um, is very stable. So the sorts of therapies you can bring to it are uh, epigenetic mechanisms where you just, which is what we do in Neiman Pick, where we've made a very safe way of uh, chronically overexpressing the gene. Um, and so you're still making mutant protein, but you're making more of it, and that actually um, provides enough functionality. You know, the funny thing about it is that you don't need to go from, you know, I don't know, 2% of protein activity to 100% of protein activity in order to make somebody well. You know, 10% is perfectly good enough. Um, and, you know, we put like 50% back in, in the mouse model. But the other way to do it is what we call chaperones, which is we help the proteins fold using small molecules. You know, so you can use small molecules to turn the gene up, crank it up, or you can also use small molecules um, to make them fold better. And so that's what Dr. Lee's lab does is, you know, they, they look at um, small molecules that help um, these mutated proteins fold better, and because they fold better, then you know they're stable longer and they're functional. And then we come together by collaborating, utilizing both approaches. Right. So uh, that's yeah. I know one of the things you've done is create a neurobi uh, a quantitative neurobiological score for Neiman Pick C. 
Why yeah. is that needed, and is that applicable to use as a clinical measure for other neurological diseases? Yes, yes, yes. So, I mean, with neurological diseases, um, you know, there are um, a number of different symptomatic domains, um, and so that's actually kind of, you know, one of the diagnostic challenges, right? You can... the Many of them result in the missing of, you know, very similar milestones, but the dynamic range in those milestones um, can be different. Um, and then there will be, uh, you know, some disease domains that are unique. So this is something that, with respect to, uh, we can we can we've created scales, and then these scales can actually be utilized to assess records patient record. Um, and so this is something actually that we do in partnership uh, with patient families and, you know, our upper level undergrads. Uh, and, you know, we actually published a paper with 64 undergraduate authors showing that you can train them. You can train them in patient privacy. Our, our students are very, you know, scientifically very adept, but they're also, they do a very high level of service, you know, and so it's a very popular course to sort of learn on the one hand the, the the molecular genetic basis of the rare disease and how this leads to their logical symptoms and then once they and then apply this to uh, assessment of uh, you know clinical records to better understand the natural history of a rare disease because they're, they're, they're actually very poorly understood. And then to apply them to other neurological diseases, you know, apply that knowledge base to creating disease scales for other neurological diseases and uh, quantify them in, with the same progression. Yeah, so they do a they do a really great job with so, that. As you've alluded to, you work with both industry and patients. I'm wondering if you could walk through each of those. How, how do you work with patients? Oh, so the way the way we work with patients is we um, when we have a rare disease when we have a laboratory program in, in in a in a particular rare disease you know we invariably have a patient community um, who contributes um, you know cells and samples and things like that because you always have to see whether your therapies are going to be you know it's fine they work in a mouse but they have to be responsive in um, patients and that's actually patient material and that's how you actually set up criteria for inclusion in in studies um, but and so in order for them to participate you know they they have to sign a consent form and they actually um, you know provide us with their with their medical records um, but we also take in patient medical records from the community even if we don't have um, a active laboratory research program because we are interested in uh, contributing to the better understanding of natural histories of, of rare diseases. So we actually partner uh, students, you know, with patients. It is clinically supervised by a nurse practitioner, um, and students are all trained in, in uh, you know, pri in patient privacy and in HIPAA. Um, and so the students essentially um, 
part and and so on Red Disease Day, you know, for instance, when uh, that's coming up, the, our conference, we will have students and patient families jointly present posters on the patient uh, rare disease, and the patients provide the clinical perspective, the symptomatic perspective, and the students present, you know, the molecular and and genetic and then the link to the symptomatic perspective. They help families, you know, families want, they want to understand, they want an accelerated pathway of drug discovery and development, you know, so they they really help families understand, you know, how um, that can be done. Um, Families also want to know, you know, what is the standard of care? You know, what kind of training do they need to help? I mean, often, you know, you're living with a patient for, with a rare disease for for quite a long time. I mean, it's, you know, it's chronic conditions, right? So we provide them. So our students do all the research to, uh, to provide them with information on where the centers of excellence, you know, um, what, what are the tools out there? We have students who have like created apps so that patients can better manage their schedules. You know, there's award-winning apps. They, um, our students won an NIH award uh, last year um, for uh, communic- effective communication um, for patients in sickle cell disease. You know, um, to increase awareness and and um, information. Um, and then just, you know, cope with, cope with living with a chronic disease. I mean, chronic disease management is, is actually very complex. Um, and, you know, we, we believe it's actually important even for a general education. I mean, in, in the modern day, you know, uh, people have to make very complex decisions. Um, and uh, the better they're informed. So, you know, so we inform our, so our students inform themselves, they inform patients, and it's it's really a, a great partnership, you know, in in education and awareness and, and research. They, they have a partnership with, uh, we have a partnership with the National Organization of Rare Diseases and um, the Red, the, uh, NORD, and so NORD has a rare disease database, you know, which is about, Three thousand, three and a half thousand uh, reports, and it's often the first place that a patient family will go once they get a diagnosis. You know, so they can learn about some of the things I was talking about. You know, better understanding the disease, the natural history, the progression, uh, the variation, where the centers of excellence are. You know, what is so we actually have our students work with Nord and in partnership to update these. Um, reports and, um, you know, then you send them to Nord and then Nord sends them to a partnering clinician and then the clinician okays it and it gets posted and our students get cited as Nord editorial internships, which is what they are. Um, and, you know, we've done like 50 of them. We did the first one, uh, for a, for a new rare disease that, you know, Nord didn't have before, um, and this is because um, the family who was diagnosed is actually in our local community. Um, so, and and actually, we heard that you know the patient um, who then went to the NIH to be seen, um, and this was actually only uh, two weeks ago. 
um, and was seen by an endocrinologist there who read the summary that our students created and posted on the Nord website. So that's great. Um, yeah. How about industry? How, how does the center work with industry? So with industry, the way we work is uh, really through private-public partnerships. Um, you know, this is a space that industry is interested in, um, and it's easier to form partnerships with them because it's not the main line um, so th- of work they do. You know, it's, it's not uh, drugs in prevalent diseases. So the conflicts, the conflicts with internal programs is lower. So that's, that's one way. So we signed, um, you know, agreement with Lilly to screen their libraries for any rare neglected disease. Um, we also, through, but then in addition, especially in the genetic disorders, um, you know, for the treatment that we've come up with, Lehman Pick Type C, I mean, that technology has founded a company. Um, and the company is interested in, you know, broadening the technology, obviously in, in developing to phase one for NPC, but also broadening it for use, you know, in, in other diseases, which we think should be, should be feasible. So, uh, we try to help members in the center form these partnerships, you know, bring them together with partners um, and move projects along um, to the point that, you know, you would get external funding um, and then move that forward. I know the center envisions itself as, as an advocate for rare disease. I'm wondering, what do you see the center playing in terms of its role in advocacy? Well, you know, we're grounded in education, and I think that our, you know, we have a very talented uh, pool of of students, um, and who are very keen. And you know, they're upper level, you know, in terms of the scalable factor, right? Um, you know, cl- taking classroom education because that's what I'd really like to be able to do. Um, We've put 200 students through the program, um, you know, so uh, I think that we can do that and we've got, you know, kids who we would like to imprint. They are going to medical school. They are going to be docs, right? Who made an impression on you? Me? It was the, the folks who taught me uh, when I was in high school and in college. So... You know, the short-term goal is to really bring a very high level of awareness um, and education um, and information, you know, to the patient community um, to integrate. We actually, you know, we started this like in 2009, and it was a little bit of a curiosity, this class that I started with three students um, and after discussion with a lot of stakeholders and all I was asking was that nobody object, you know, and nobody objected. So I said, okay, fine, I will try it and see how it goes. Um, So, um, but it's grown. I mean, our class sizes now are between 25 and 30 and I don't really want it much larger than that. did go to 51 year. I cut it back a bit. Um, So, We'd like, I would like to, 
you know, see that expanded. It would be great if it could go to other institutions. We'd like to think about online versions. We'd like to partner with uh, organizations like uh, Global Gene. You know, I mean, I think that there is a lot of, I mean, Global Genes is a terrific advocate, you know, for patients. And I think we share a common perspective, which is, you know, the patient is key. I mean, if it was not for the patient, uh, I mean, they, 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 you know, they raise awareness for rare diseases. They raise funds for rare diseases. They, they live amazing lives, you know, with, with rare disease. And, and because, you know, the number of patients is so few and because the number of clinicians is so few, often patients know more about the clinical condition than the specialist who sees the patient, you know, once a year or maybe, maybe twice a year. So I think there's a lot that can be done by essentially providing these tools for patient empowerment so we can draw patients in, in a, in a stable way. You know, I mean, the university is, has been here for a long time and I think will continue after I've retired and other faculty will come and go, but, but there will always be a core tradition. The center will be hosting its rare disease day conference on February 9th and 10th. The first day focuses on science. The second day focuses on patient advocacy who should attend it, and what can people expect at the conference? Oh, so, I mean, I think that um, the people who should attend, you know, anybody who has an interest in rare disease, you know, practitioners, patients, um, it's an open conference. We ask everybody, anybody who wants to attend can attend. All we ask is that they register so we know how, you know, the numbers to, to plan for. So the people who do attend, um, are of course, you know, our students, um, but we also get a lot of um, local practitioners and, and really from, you know, the Chicago area, um, uh, in addition to, of course, the people who are invited. So, so sort of, you know, Chicagoland and Michiana, um, we get, you know, patients, clinicians. Um, we've had some pharma um, and... Then we, the first day is research, um, but the first day also will feature Nicole Boyce, um, because there's a dinner session and she will tell us about Global Genes. And, um, as well as, you know, Rob Long, who has an incredible story of having survived this rare brain cancer. He's a football player, uh, from Syracuse. And, uh, but, you know, has also played at the Notre Dame Stadium for us. You know, there's always like a sports resonance. Anyway, so, um, so I think there will be a lot of, you know, understanding of how you can serve rare diseases. He currently had the, um, the, you know, global, the, the, the U.S. Uh, uplifting athletes organization of which we have a chapter at, at Notre Dame. There are many ways to serve rare diseases. And I hope that, you know, on day one, they will, there will be, you know, communication about the science, but also the fact that, you know, there is really a, a lot of other ways that, that can be done. And we are, you know, we, we're all going to go to a hockey game at the end of the day. Um, 
Andy has, um, you know, we partnered with them. They're, the hockey team has done really well. Um, and it was, we started that last year and it, it really worked well. And hockey's been terrific. You know, they, we feature patients and patient families, um, you know, at the game and you know, they take part in all kinds of activities on, on the ice. You know, on Saturday, we will provide updates and clinical trials. Um, provide perspectives um, of sort of new technologies that are emerging in pharma as well as in um, Axime. Uh, part of the pharma story, you know, there will be this, you know, we, we uh, John Crowley um, and uh, Megan Crowley, so Megan was diagnosed, his daughter, Megan was diagnosed with Pompeii um, when she was two years old, and John, you know, basically quit his job and developed a drug to save his children's lives. Um, and it's a, you know, well-chronicled story, but Megan Crowley is a junior at Notre Dame. Um, and so she's going to speak about, right after her dad speaks, about what it was like, you know, growing up knowing that your father was fighting to save your life. Um, and then we will break and have uh, a mix of poster sessions and booths. So we have sort of these, um, you know, platforms uh, where we cluster different um, rare diseases um, and um, have presentations where we will have families and students, both undergraduate, graduate, as well as um faculty and it'll be sort of like a three hour um you know uh get together um and of 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 sort of the entire group and then we will finally close with narratives from individual patient families which I have always found you know very very powerful. I mean they 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 come to us and they tell us, you know, sort of how how they came to have a rare disease, right? Because it's not really something you expect will happen to you. Um, and then, you know, they have incredible stories. Um, so we have our alumni there. We will have, you know, we have a real community um, and it continues to grow every year. So, Well, the center will be hosting its Rare Disease Day conference on February 9th and 10th. Uh, more information can be found on the center's website. And actually, we just finally... Um, we, we have a, a detailed program actually that is, is going up. Center for Rare and Neglected Diseases, University of Notre Dame. That will take you there. Kastori Halder, Professor of Biological Sciences and Director of the Center for Rare and Neglected Diseases at Notre Dame University. Kastori, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Danny. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Go 
drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com. <laughs>